This is the Human Action Podcast with your host, Jeff Deist. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. As you can see, we're joined by a special guest, our great friend, the famed investor, Jimmy Rogers. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm delighted to be here, Jeff. I am a fan. Well, let me ask you this. How did you fare uh, in Singapore and otherwise during the COVID years, the last two years? Well, Singapore, Singapore took, at first took the approach of not doing very much. And then they took the approach, which in my view backfired and they had a lot of cases and they have been more or less locked down. But in recent days, we're opening up again. Been very little travel in Singapore for many reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's opening up again and restaurants are opening. Life may be coming back to some kind of normalcy. Well, I hope so. You know, we'll know in a few years who was right and who was wrong. Well, fans of yours may not know that you grew up in Alabama, Demopolis, Alabama. Of course. Yes, yes. Right down the road from, well, sort of down the road from you. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, I'm going there for my high school reunion soon. Okay. Well, it strikes me, having been through Demopolis a few times, it's a long way from Demopolis to Yale and Oxford. How'd you manage that? <laughs> But it was all purely an accident. It was a mistake. I assure you, when I got to Yale, I found it. Oh, my gosh, this is a mistake. What am I doing here? I was certainly in over my head, but Mm -hmm. uh, I pulled it off and I survived and and did okay. The way I got there was I was in a club, uh, which Yale, for some reason, gave a scholarship to that member of that club uh, internationally, and I applied. What did I know? I certainly didn't know what I was getting into, but I applied, and lo and behold, I got the scholarship, then I had to go. I, I'm going to suspect that most of your classmates were from the Northeast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Yale in those days, and still is, it, well, even more international now, you know, there were, in, in my class at Yale, of a thousand boys, there were five people from Alabama. Okay. Well, they were all boys, needless to say, in those days, yeah, we're still single gender, uh, but there were five from Alabama. I was one of the five. I was a geographic distribution. When Yale looked at the map, they couldn't find Demopolis. My phone number was five. So they said, we got to take this guy. We need, we need somebody from Demopolis whose phone number is five. Well, I noticed after you graduated, actually began working on Wall Street, uh, you entered the U.S. Army after that. So were, did, were you drafted? Well, those were the days of the Vietnamese War, and uh, my draft board was, you know, Marinko County. It was a lady who had had two sons who were drafted and killed in the Second World War. So no, no matter who you were, you were going to serve. And uh, I was about to be drafted, and I, I, I went to OCS. See, but our perception now is that kids from Yale on Wall Street don't uh, don't end up in the army anymore. Well, they they didn't have a draft board in Marengo County, Alabama, you know, where yeah. the, the lady was saw it as her either vengeance or patriotic duty, whatever her view was. Nobody could escape. Mm-hmm. So, in the seventies, your time with George Soros. Is it strange now to think that he's become this avatar, this symbol for both sides of the political aisle in the West? It seems strange. Is he just a regular guy? Well, Jeff, I haven't seen or spoken to Soros in 42 years. 
uh, you might as well ask me about my first wife. I, I mean, won't do that. No, no contact of any kind for, for over 42 years. So I, I, I have no idea. But doesn't that make it stranger almost? What, that I've had no contact for or 42 that, years? Or that he's become I this. Had, you, you want to ask about my first wife? I haven't had any contact with her for many years either. Well, she called in earlier with some questions. So, um, But, you know, that's, that, those, that's starting to be a long time ago. And you fast forward. I just wonder, when in this early period of yours on Wall Street, when were you introduced to economists like Mises? How did that happen? Well, early in my life, um, as a natural process, I came to the realization that open markets, open societies were much better than letting people tell others what to do. And I realized from enough reading of history or philosophy or whatever to realize that mankind, markets, societies could figure it out better than a bunch of guys sitting in a central office somewhere telling us all what to do. Um, I came to that on my own. I guess having grown up in Demopolis, where there was nobody to tell you what to do, mm. uh, it was pretty clear that when I got to New Haven, they had an entirely different view of the world than I did, having grown up in the backwoods of, of Alabama. And I came to this as a natural process of philosophy, economics, whatever it was. And ever since I ever heard of von Mises and other people like that, it was clear to me that open economies, open societies were the best way. And do you think Mises and other economists helped you in your business life, in your business career? Well, I, Mr. von Mises never gave me any hot tips. He never gave me any tips on things to buy. So in that regard, probably not. Um, but I certainly, knowing how the world works and, and knowing that too much regulation and control will hurt an economy or an industry or whatever, has given me a philosophical basis to help me make decisions as a thought process. But no, I don't think, I cannot think of any any well other than just the thought process i mean i have gotten involved with investing in countries where nobody else did because i could see the changes that were taking taking place as they opened uh things of that sort but that's the thought process that's the philosophy more than the specifics what about money though is is your view of money change with all the things that central banks did after the 07 crash and now that central banks have done with covid does any of this change your your idea of money? It seems like we're, that things are so crazy with central banks. We can't we can't understand how it all keeps perpetuating itself. Well, that's all the same process. I mean, I know I know that the market is smarter than Alan Greenspan. Alan Greenspan was the head of the central bank in the United States for a long time. I know that the market is certainly smarter than most central bankers that we've had in the world, and certainly most treasury officials we've had, et cetera. Um, that, that comes from experience or reading or knowledge or whatever. Uh, I know, and I've seen it in enough countries around the world, Jeff, to know that the market, the market makes many mistakes but the market makes fewer mistakes than Janet Yellen. Mm -hmm. Janet Yellen's current treasury secretary, and she was at the central bank. Uh, she has two Ivy League degrees, but 
I believe degrees don't don't make things right always. Well, it's it's hard to believe when I was working for Ron Paul, your book Hot Commodities came out. I want to say two thousand five. That's uh, do you you still agree with the central thesis in that book? It seems today the case for commodities might be even stronger than then. Well, the, the thesis of that book was there, there were no books about commodities, or if there were, we couldn't find them. Uh, and basically, I was trying to explain the commodities markets. It was not a book of hot tips. It was not a, just explaining that this is what it is, and this is how you invest. I think the subtitle was something like how to invest in the world's biggest market or something like that. It was, it was a how-to book rather than a book of hot tips. That part of the thesis is still accurate. I mean, if you want to invest in gold, you got to know how to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can read how commodities work and how commodities markets work. And that part of the thesis is still correct. I happen to be optimistic about commodities right now uh, and have been for a while, but that's not always the case, as I explain in the book. You know, commodities have long periods when things are great. They've also had long periods when things have been bad. So it's, it's not just a question of knowing how, you got to know when, and that's the hard part. See, well, that's, that's one of the hard parts. That's what people are always asking us. What, if you Austrians can't help us time things, then what good are you? Well, that's back to what I said before about the, it's a way of thinking and a, and a, philosophy, a philosophical approach. Uh, I would dispute that. <laughs> Austrians can teach you how to think and can teach you how the world works or should work. And when the world doesn't work that way, for instance, Soviet Union didn't work that way. And we knew that. I can remember the first time I went to uh, Russia and those Iron Curtain countries. I came away saying, this will never work. This cannot work. Uh, and yeah. it so happened that that was the, the right approach. But I came to that conclusion by just knowing, uh, thinking I knew how the world worked. So did Austrians teach me that? No, but my knowledge of how things should work, which is... Austrian economics made me realize that that could not work and would not work. Yeah. Well, I wonder if COVID has changed your perspective at all about commodities and physical stuff. In other words, the last 10 or so years, the markets have been enthralled to these FANG stocks, for example. But it seems like COVID reminded us how important the old analog world is. We need energy. We need calories. We need medicine. We need food. Wherever we happen to live, we need all that stuff. And the market's got to bring it to us. You need rice. I mean, there's a few billion people in the world who eat rice every day. Well, they want to get their rice. So that's something that we should all consider. No, absolutely. Uh, but I'm not sure that I had to have the COVID virus to teach me that. It, it certainly reinforced it and made it clear to all of us that we've got to have this stuff and we've got to get it somehow. Uh, and if we cannot get it, the price is going to go through the roof. So in that sense, yes. But I don't think I don't think any of us, at least any of us who understand Mises and some other guys, realize that this was going to happen. Certainly, COVID made it worse. But this mm -hmm. is the way the world works. I didn't have to have the COVID virus to make me know how markets are supposed to work. What are your thoughts these days on farmland and mining? I know you've been you've a, a promoter of both of those in the past, that we need farms 
and that maybe farmers ought to be the rich guys in the society as opposed to bankers? Well, you can go back and look at history or literature. I mean, if you go back and read Russian novels, for instance, you know, there were these really, really rich agricultural people, the counts, who had great horses and servants and everything else. And they were very, very rich and successful agricultural people. They were farmers. We've also had pe periods in history where, I mean, look at the 30s in America. You remember the dust belt, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, farmers were absolutely starving. The price of cotton went to a penny, a penny a pound. You know, it was just unbelievably cheap. By the way, the price of cotton in 1861 went from a penny to over a dollar. Wow. I presume you know why that happened. Um, but in, in 1931, it went back to under a penny. So as I was saying before, there have been some great, great cycles in commodities, always have been, always will be. And that is something that if one can get it right, one can make huge amounts of money in commodities. But if one gets it right, you can make huge amounts of money in just about anything. Mm -hmm. If you get it right. <clears throat> So how do you focus your time these days? What's your, what's your main day-to-day -day work? Well, I still invest my money. I have to because I have to pay my rent. But I, yeah, for many years, I never had children, never wanted children. I felt mm -hmm. so sorry for my pathetic friends who had children. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had one. I was 60 when I had my first child, and I came to realize I've been wrong about children all my life. And now I have two, and they are a major focus for me. I, I want to spend as much time and energy on and with my children as I can, because, and if there's anybody watching this who hasn't had children, I, and you're the right age, I urge you to go and have some children. It's a miracle. There you go. Are you still generally bullish on Asia? You still like living there and, and having your work there? Well, we moved here because I came to the conclusion 25 or 30 years ago that China was going to be the next great country in the world, whether we like it or not. Uh, so I wanted my children to speak Mandarin and to know Asia. So that's why I came here. Um, and it's worked. They both speak perfect Mandarin, and they certainly know they can use chopsticks. They know what chopsticks are now, so they, they have learned a lot. Uh, I don't see anything to change. The, the idea that Asia is going to be the most important part of the world in the next hundred years or so, it has certainly continued to happen that way. I mean, look out the window. Everybody, most people know that now that it's mm -hmm. happening. Sure, there will certainly be setbacks. You know, and the United States became the most important country in the 20th century. But along the way, we had many depressions, massacres in the streets, civil war. We had many problems. And yet we became a great success. China's going to have plenty of problems, but I don't see anybody else on the horizon. So I'm trying to, the reason I came was to try to prepare my children for the 21st century. You can ask me in 80 years if I got it right. So presumably their English is pretty good too. English and Mandarin sounds like a good combination. Well, no, it's perfect. I mean, they speak good man, a good English and they speak perfect Mandarin. It's astonishing that Chinese TV networks invite my children to come to China to do specials about them because they're so shocked at their Mandarin. Not me, I speak no Mandarin. I'm still speaking Alabama English. But, you know, my children speak proper English and they speak beautiful Mandarin. So that part is where, and they can use chopsticks. So that part has worked. So 
Some of our listeners may have read your Investment Biker book, which was about your travels around the world. Uh, the Barber Motorsports Museum, which is also in Alabama, actually has your old motorcycle from one of those trips. Your old uh, 19, I want to say 88 BMW R100 RT. That's exactly what it was. It was a fabulous bike. Uh, I, that bike had two major trips, one around the world and one across across China mm-hmm. a long time ago. Um, and I had a fantastic time on that bike, and it is in a museum in Alabama, the Barber Motorcycle Museum. George Barber had the good sense to have a rich grandfather and a very rich father, and George too is very rich. So he decided to build the world's greatest motorcycle museum, and he's done it. It's some absolutely astonishing racetracks and everything else. So since I'm from Alabama, that seemed to be the logical place for those motorcycles to be, and they are. And, and during those hundreds, 100,000 miles or so, were you, I assume you were dealing with a lot of flats and mechanical problems and everything on your own in the middle of nowhere somewhere? Well, the reason I, I took a BMW, BMW in those days, and probably still with the best engineered motorcycles, and I'm a horrible mechanic, Jeff, so I, I knew I needed something that would give me very few problems, and that's that why I took a, a BMW, and they made it. Uh, fortunately, my girlfriend, that we were two motorcycles, my girlfriend, who was Ivy League education, and so, but she loved mechanics. It was the strangest things I ever saw. She loved mechanics, so, and I hated mechanics. So between the BMWs with the great engineers in Germany and my girlfriend who loved mechanics, we made it. Well, final question for you. Anything you would say to our younger listeners today? Most of them in the US, some of them in Europe, a few of them in Asia, Central South America, but a lot of young people in their 20s, I think right now are not particularly optimistic. I think that's a terrible thing. I want them to be optimistic. And and I thought you would be a good person to ask about how they might look at the world and think about their futures. I'll give you two very strong words of advice. One is learn another language, preferably Chinese or Spanish or something that's widely spoken. If nothing else, uh, even if you don't use it very much, it will give you an, uh, an inspiration and an understanding of other parts of the world, which is extremely important, certainly in the 21st century. But probably more important than that, Jeff, is, and I'm asked this a lot at universities and at many places, the main answer to that question is, figure out what you love, figure out what your passions are, Don't listen to your parents. Don't listen to your teachers. Don't listen to your friends. Figure out your own passions and pursue it. And if people laugh at you, you're really on the right track. You're really doing the right thing, you know, because someday you're going to be a very great success. And Jeff, even if you're not a great success, you don't care because you're happy. You're doing what you love. You wake up every day. You never go to work. You just wake up and have fun. But those are also the people who are usually the most successful because they're doing what they love and they have great fun. So figure out what you love and do it and learn another language and and get yourself a motorcycle and drive around the world. It will teach you a lot about yourself and about the world. And have some kids. Oh, well, have some kids, but don't do it too soon. If I had kids when I was 25 or even 35 or any time, 
It would have been bad for the kids. It would have been bad for me. It would have been bad for the wife. It would have been bad for everybody. So if you, and yes, you definitely should have kids, but be sure you're ready before you do it. So Jimmy Rogers, do you, do you use social media at all? It doesn't look like it. Well, I, 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 I mean, I, not really. I don't. Um, no, I don't have anything to sell. I do have a website, but it's really just a recap of my trip around the world because I want that there for historic reasons. Nobody ever went around the world at the turn of a millennia before, or if they did, they didn't put it on the internet. Right. So that's mainly why it's there. But no, I use social media. I'm, I do internet. I mean, email all the time. And it's a major source of information for me now. You know, when I was on Wall Street, I used to read newspapers from four or five countries every day. But now you can do all that on the internet. You can get 18 countries almost instantly every day. I do try to teach my children that they should get information from as many countries or sources as possible. Because Jeff, every one of those sources thinks they're right. You know, if you if you watch any TV network in the world, they think they're telling you what is the accurate situation. They can't all be accurate. So I try to teach my my children. OK, you listen to all of them and then you figure out what's really going on. And that will make you much more successful in life, no matter what you do. And I will also tell you, you know, I go to the Mises website whenever it pops up. There's all sorts of good stuff there. It is astonishing how much good stuff uh, you guys put up there. Uh, you know, I, I show it to my kids because I want them to know the, the astonishing range of information that's out there and you have a lot of it and you certainly don't have the conventional wisdom and nobody, Jeff, nobody ever gets successful following the conventional wisdom. So keep it up. Well, enjoy that high school reunion in Demopolis. I will. I'm not coming through Auburn, but I will be passing through Alabama. Yes. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Jimmy Rogers. Appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. My fun. Check back next week for a new episode of the Human Action Podcast. And in the meantime, you can find more content like this at Mises.org.